I learned a very tough lesson about uh, about business and life when I was nine years old. Um, I, because my father and mother separated, my father lived in Sweden and I lived in Finland. I was traveling back and forth, and I was I was six years old when I first sat on an airplane alone without any parents. And seeing how small a six year old is, I don't really know how they trusted me to do that. I mean. Of course, the, the, the stewardess and there were personnel helping out, but I really loved flying. And that's when I decided I want to be a pilot one day. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz. Enjoy the show. SEO, paid search, and email marketing. You know they are the marketing trifecta that you need to build your brand and increase direct bookings. But outside of watching a couple YouTube videos and listening to a few STR podcasts, you haven't had the time to really understand things like how Google ranks content or what subject line and preview text combo are the best when sending an email to your list about last minute availability. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're not just any run of the mill STR or vacation rental host. You're an entrepreneur who wants to see their portfolio of homes and the brand that encompasses them grow. And this week's podcast sponsor, Build Up Bookings, can help you do just that. Build Up Bookings is the digital marketing team that some of the best players in the game use to scale their businesses. I had their founder, Conrad O'Connell, on episode 44 of this podcast. And let me tell you, this guy knows his stuff. In just the last 12 months, Build Up Bookings has helped their clients earn over $48 million in direct bookings. That's $48 million. If 90% of your bookings are coming via the Airbnbs and Verbos of the world, it might be time to audit and augment your direct booking strategy. And Conrad and his team have set up a special landing page for Behind the Stays listeners that is chock full of free resources to help you do so. Head on over to buildupbookings.com forward slash BTS, that's BTS as in behind the stays, to learn more. And be sure to request a free marketing strategy session with Conrad and tell him that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you his way. Again, that's buildupbookings.com forward slash BTS. In just a moment, we meet Marcus Rader, founder and CEO of HostAway. Marcus grew up in Finland. He was quite a curious kid, but struggled to develop any lasting hobbies as he was very easily distracted. After flying for the first time as a six-year-old, Marcus's dream was to become a pilot. Something about being at 30,000 feet above everyone else was inspirational and invigorating. Sadly, Marcus was diagnosed with epilepsy just a few years later. And while he didn't understand much about the disease as a kid, his soul was crushed when he learned he'd never be a pilot. Tune in to hear the inspirational story of how Marcus turned this moment of despair into the pursuit of greatness and how he ultimately built one of the most valuable all-in-one tools for vacation rental property managers on the market. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Marcus. Marcus. 
Okie dokie, Marcus. We are we're live. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful weather here in in Toronto, and uh, the summer is just at its at its peak. And um, kids are back in school, so it's quiet. It's, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, uh, Marcus, I have to ask: Has anyone ever told you you look like Richard Branson? Have you gotten that before? Um, I I recently started doing TikTok, and I find it incredibly interesting because. Uh, I post random ideas there. I wish I could talk about business, but I, I'm I'm in a position where the less I say publicly, the the better because <laughs> there's a lot of people looking at me and and you know anything I say can some people think is well. I tend to be controversial, so I tend to to stay away from business. I do it privately, but there you get the weirdest comments. And I saw a comment there: "Wow, a young Richard Branson." So yes, <laughs> I've, I've heard it once before, but only on. Only on TikTok. It's a it's a compliment. It's a compliment. I mean, he's he's actually one Thank of my you. my favorite entrepreneurs. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I uh, am I did I join the wrong Zoom room? Is this uh, is this Richard? <laughs> uh, but hey, man, thanks so much for um, for taking some time to chat with us today. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation and have followed you and and your company for uh, several months now, um, and have just selfishly been waiting to ask you a bunch of questions. So. I'm excited, and uh, it's a Friday when we're recording this, which makes me extra excited because the weekend is just around the corner, so uh, I'm feeling great. Um, Marcus, one of my favorite questions to ask folks who come on this show, just to help the audience get to get to know you a little bit better, um, is if I were if I were to drop in at a happy hour with you and some of your your closest friends and, and family, and if I were to ask them to to tell me a little bit about you. What is it that you imagine that they might say, or is there is there a story they might instantly tell about you? Wow, great, great question. You know, uh, when, when I moved to Canada seven years ago, uh, a Finnish friend of mine told me, "Hey, you need to learn Canadian culture, and and you can do that best by watching a show called Trailer Park Boys." And in Trailer Park Boys, there's there's of course Julian. Now, one of my friends here in Toronto, his name is Julian, and and when I when we got our first uh, first child uh, and an only child, uh, we we had the baby in a in a stroller, and when when Julian first saw the baby, he looked at her and said, "Oh, you're the one with the eccentric dad," <laughs> and um, and I thought, "Wow, I've never had anyone describe me." so well as as julian did when when he first saw my daughter that that's right i think eccentric is is what what friends would say they i i do see my own friends struggling because some of them never know if i'm serious or not because sometimes <laughs> when i i'm on a very you know engaging topic i i make a joke out of it uh, sometimes i'm i'm serious but but i i come to learn with the years being as eccentric it can be a good thing or a bad thing. Hmm. And the only thing, the only difference uh, between being a weirdo and being eccentric is whether you're successful. So if you're <laughs> unsuccessful, people think you're a weirdo, you're a freak, you're a nerd. If you're successful, the very same characters, uh, characteristics, suddenly you're eccentric, which uh -huh. is a positive word. And it's uh, it's very interesting. So uh, because of my eccentricity, I was I was bullied a lot in school. I always had problems connecting to people. I always ten tended to hang out with the strange people, not the normal people. Hmm. Um, but but being in business, yeah, I'm, there's a lot of eccentric people on on the top. Uh, I 
I love that. That was that, that might be like my favorite answer to to that question so far, Marcus. So that that's great, and and yeah, it's it, 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 I've never really thought about that, but you're you're a hundred percent right. Like, if you're successful, you're you're eccentric, not weird. If you if you're not successful, and you're awkward, you're weird. Um, that's that is that is fascinating. Well, well, hey, I mean, hey, you're just you're just really like leaning into this whole like Richard Branson persona even more because he is quite eccentric. Uh, as as an entrepreneur and as a character so i i love it marcus you are the founder and ceo of of hostaway and i am sure a lot of the people that are tuning into this conversation have either heard of hostaway they might even be your customers um but for you know those who might not be aware of hostaway or might have heard of hostaway but not fully understand what it is and and, and what it does can you just give us like the quick like shark tank pitch so to speak for for what your product is Absolutely. So, um, wow. You know, I haven't spoken to investors for over over two years now. So, because uh, <laughs> okay, how would you? I, explain I do it? speak to investors. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they they are pitching they get to the me. Product. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I I had to do so much pitching to to everyone <laughs> in in the beginning, but uh, but now you caught me off guard. Um, here, how so, would you how would you explain it? You were just telling me that you have this beautiful daughter, Amelia, right? So if Amelia yeah. were to say, "Dad, like, tell me what you do. Tell me what Hostaway is." How how would you respond to her? That might be a little easier. Okay, absolutely. So there's there's a lot of people who are who are very fortunate, and they have they have a cottage or they have a vacation home, a summer house, maybe a, a beach condo in Florida, and that's expensive. Yeah. You yeah. need money to to have those kind of things because yep. even if if you could afford to buy it, you need to you need to uh pay for ongoing maintenance, taxes, things always break, always need fixing. Um in order to do that, what a lot of people have found out is that uh since it's empty most of the year, let's be honest here, how often do you really go to that cottage, especially in winter? You, you don't. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want to go there and they rent it out. So they they rent it out on, on platforms, marketplaces such as Airbnb, Verbo, Expedia, and so on. But eventually what they find out is that it's a lot of work. It's really a lot of work, um, especially if, if you have one place and you have a day job as well, and you got kids and you you got, you know, your mom is, her health is deteriorating. You need to help out with that. It's, it's just really difficult to take care of these guests. And you start asking people and you find out the other people with cottages, they rent them out through something called a property manager, hmm. someone who lives locally where your place is, and they're actually doing it full time. So you can focus on your career your your uh, your mom your your kids yeah and let a property manager manage the business now these property managers they're going to be having 50 100 sometimes 10,000 cottages they need a solid software to make sure that everything goes right hmm. because unlike hotels and a lot of things go wrong in a hotel you show up at your room it's not clean or maybe you, you go to bed and there's no pillow. There's someone sitting downstairs and yeah. you can call them. You can call the reception or you can walk there and say, excuse me, there's something wrong. Yeah. When it comes to vacation rentals, if you manage 100 cottages, they're going to be spread out over a massive area. Yeah. And there's no front desk to go to. These guests, they need to communicate with you and you need to know what's going on. You need a centralized platform for communication 
marketing, sales, accounting. You need to do everything you can to run a business, manage your staff, uh, gather reviews, manage the money. That's very important in every business. And that's exactly what Hostaway does. We provide the software, a one-in-all solution for every vacation rental property manager out there. Wow, that was a wonderful pitch. I, I think that would have worked for Amelia and also your your investors. So, well done, well done. Um, that was that was wonderful. well. Well, it's uh, it's very interesting how how the pitch has changed with with the years. I, I remember once in the in the early years, I I was talking to an investor, yeah, and uh, and we we spent a good half an hour, forty five minutes exploring this, and and this was in two thousand fifteen. So okay. What I'm saying right now to the listener, to some of you, it might make perfect sense. Yeah, it's like duh. But I can yeah. tell you that wasn't the case in 2015. And, yeah. and one investor that I really wanted, uh, he was he's very well known. Uh, I really wanted him to invest. He said, "I stayed at an Airbnb once. I didn't like it. I'm going to stick to hotels. I don't believe in this. I'm out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny how how those things changed, how all of a sudden with a pandemic that put a put a freeze to the travel industry and many parts of the travel space haven't recovered. Yep. And some of them, like business trips, will never look the same again. Sure. Uh, but Airbnb, which is what this investor was against, or he didn't believe in it, they managed to IPO during a global travel standstill. That yeah. tells something about the strength of this industry and how times have changed since 2015. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a it's a really, really compelling and interesting observation there. Um, I I, I want to know a little bit more about you, Marcus, because I um, again I've followed you for a little bit. I've heard I, I knew about Hostaway. I've, I've known about Hostaway for maybe maybe a year or or two years or so. Um, but one of my favorite things to do on this show is talk to entrepreneurs, talk to investors, talk to to hosts who are in in the short term rental space, and really like unpack their stories, like how they got into the space, uh, what they're what they're currently thinking through with respect to the state of the industry, how they're building products or services to support the industry, and or just how they're hosting their own their own properties in sort of like new and creative and innovative ways. Um, and I am curious what you were like as as a kid so you've alluded to this a little bit already but like when you were growing up what like what held your attention like where did your where did your time go as a kid um and then how did that how did that sort of impact how you how you grew up really good really good question um I, I had zero attention span. I, I tried a million different hobbies and I always quit after a week because <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I, I also, what I've later come to learn is that I was very fortunate in, in my early days. Um, a good example of that, and, and that I didn't utilize it. The good example is my father always said, you, you got the uh, Olympic gold medal body. So if if I would put effort in, I could become really good at any sport I chose. And and he's probably right, but I hate sports. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I was also I was I was born in Sweden, but I grew up in Finland, and those are quite you know well they're, they're very good societies. Okay. I mean, yeah, they're it's there's not a lot of societal problems uh even for being in the western world even compared to most of the western world there's there's less problems there so i was very 
siloed, um, which was fortunate. I always, uh, I also was uh, trilingual from basically five five years old wow. uh, because um, a lot of countries in Europe used to, well, forty years ago, they used to dub TV shows and movies, but I watched them in English. Okay, and and at the same time, I was uh, in a language minority. I'm a Swedish speaking Finn, so my mother tongue was Swedish, but then the outside world mostly spoke Finnish. So I had three languages wow. growing up, which you know, as a kid, you don't realize it's an asset until later on. Yeah, yeah. And um, but uh, but my dream, um, I, I learned I learned a very tough lesson about uh, about business and life when I was nine years old. Um, I. Because my father and mother separated, my father lived in Sweden and I lived in Finland. I was traveling back and forth, and I was I was six years old when I first sat on an airplane alone without any parents. And seeing how small a six year old is, I don't really know how they trusted me to do that. I mean, of course, the the, the stewardess and there were personnel helping out, but I really loved flying, and that's when I decided I want to be a pilot one day. Because back then kids were let in to see what the pilots are doing. Yeah, this was pre nine eleven, and I, and I loved that. But then I started having problems, and it turned out that I had epilepsy. And then when I was nine, I asked, "Oh, is this going to be forever?" Hmm. And the doctor said, "Not necessarily, but it might have some impact." Yeah, and I asked, "What impact?" Yeah, he said, "Well, for one, you can never be a pilot." <laughs> oh no! And nine year old me oh. thought, "What?" Like there was just one thing there's I wanted only, to be. There's only one and thing. And man. you're telling me there's just one thing that I cannot do. You mean I I can I can do skydiving, <laughs> I can oh, no. get married, I can I can buy a house, I can, can I can travel man. to the moon, I can do yeah. all of that, but I can't be a pilot, the one thing I actually want to be. That was a bit frustrating for for nine year old me. And uh, and uh Wow. That's I mean, when when I started thinking about yeah. I, no, uh, sorry, no, no, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but what, what uh, thoughts just uh, crossed my mind? Like, you know, a lot of people, I feel like their their dreams, right, get crushed a little bit later in life when they've put in a ton of effort, they've tried, right, and then they're just like, it's crushed. It's never gonna work. Like, they're never gonna be the athlete that they wanted to be, or you know, they're never gonna be able to like be the billionaire that they wanted to be for whatever reason. And, you know, and then people are just more pessimistic as 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 adults, right? As they get older, but m- maybe in, in kind of a, a weird way, getting getting the one thing that you wanted, um, you know, crushed, getting the, getting the one dream you you had crushed at an earlier age, then it was like, well, all right, well, uh, this is the big thing I wanted to do. I can't do that, so I'm gonna have to figure out, you know, something else. And and, and I wonder if that built like some resilience in you that you that you didn't even realize at the time. Absolutely, and there was there was another major factor that uh, that built a lot of a lot of resilience, and I think uh, a major contributor to the success of Hostaway that happened as well. But it's one of those things I didn't realize until way later, yeah. because I was a kid. So in nineteen, I was born in eighty three, so okay. I was seven years old in nineteen ninety, and at the time, Finland, although it was a, a fairly prosperous nation, a large part of that prosperity came uh, from trade with the Soviet Union. Ah, but in yeah. 1990, that all ended. Yeah. And um, so, and and I, my mom was a single parent raising me. And of course, she, like everyone else, lost her job. Yeah. And geez. we lost our home. And these Dang. are things you don't realize as a kid are going on. But now that I think of it, yes, we did have problems getting 
food on on the table. Yeah. So when I say I was privileged, you know, it's not all glorious. And what I quickly learned is, well, what happened next, especially as I was growing up, was at the same time this this magical technology boom started happening. It started a lot earlier in Finland because it's the country where Nokia the cell phones came from. Yeah. And and That's that was right. in the early nineties where there was a lot of poverty in the country. Uh, suddenly some people started making it to the top. You know, Nokia was the, the biggest cell phone company in the world and one of the, the biggest technology companies in the world at the time. Um, That's right. Jeez. And uh, so, so we had this massive wealth disparity. Yeah. That being said, you know, things, things were still good. I think everyone had food, but maybe not the best quality food. And and I got very fascinated into that. I thought, how come some people are poor and others are rich? And uh, and when I was when I was sixteen, I started doing my own spreadsheets with of on how to invest and how to budget. Um, I got jobs, and I never spent the money. I always invested it. And yeah, uh, that was how many years ago? Twenty. 23 years ago. Yeah, wow. I got a spreadsheet tracking my expenses and tracking my investments for the last 23 years. Wow. Wow. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out this simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping. Brought to you by Spontaneous. What's been what's been like, if you don't mind, what's been like a, a one of the best investments that you've made over 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 your you know that period of time? Um, I'd say one of the best investments was one that actually didn't require any money. Okay. Um, it was my first home. Okay, I was uh, your first home uh, didn't require any money. Exactly. I was able to get a mortgage okay. uh, with zero down payment. Wow. And, and I didn't qualify. I was a student at the time. Okay. But the mortgage payments were lower than the rent. Wow. Um, so it made, it made sense. And it was a small studio. It cost less than 100000 Actually, it cost 74000 Okay. Um, and I didn't qualify for the mortgage. 
my mom didn't qualify for the mortgage, even though she had a job, but the income was so bad. But my grandma signed the paper wow. as, a, as a co-signer. Yeah. So I was able to buy my first home and that was in 2001. Wow. Now, as a result of that, I was able to sell it at a profit and use it for a down payment for our first home with my what's now my wife. Okay. And I was able, as property values went up, sure, they collapsed a bit in 2007, 2008, but I was able to to collect more equity and, and use leveraged investments. And because, you know, I was already investing since I was 16, um, and I, I also experienced the, the crash of 2000. Sure. Uh, I'd say that being able to add on more real estate has been has been quite good. I never overdid it. Uh, yeah. I I didn't want any risks. Yeah, yeah. So but but that has been one of the the best investments ever made. So yeah. now I know if I have grandchildren it's probably a good idea to go and co-sign their mortgage <laughs> for their first home when they're 18. Oh yeah, you're going to have to get a lot easier after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, dude. You're you're super interesting. This is great. So, okay, so you have this uh, you know, in uh, turbulent uh childhood in, in some respects, right? Your parents split up, you're you're kind of bouncing b- between mom and dad's house. Um you understand the you understand money, right? Pretty early because you realize, oh wow, like we uh we don't have a lot. We got kicked out of the house. We, you know, you only understand on money table. when you don't have when you it. don't have it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you, money doesn't bring happiness, but not having money brings you a lot of unhappiness. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very well said. So you, you have this like this crash course in just like real world experience, right? From a from a you know pretty pretty young age. So so talk to us about like how how do you go from that to do do you, do you end up going to school? Like how like what what is the story between that moment where you you get your first house right in in two thousand and one, um, to the point where you become an entrepreneur and 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 then at what point does the the idea which would eventually become Hostaway begin to begin to percolate? Yeah, uh, there was when I went to university, I studied uh, business. I, I majored in in marketing. Okay. Uh, in hindsight, I should have chosen macroeconomics because that's what I'm really passionate about. But <laughs> I, I did marketing. You know, and- okay, sorry, so real fast. I I did exactly the same thing. I majored in marketing, and to this day, I wish I had majored in macroeconomics. So, anyways, uh, really, I, I, yeah, deep yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyways, go ahead, go ahead. So you so you you graduate from university with a marketing degree, and then what? Then I got a job at an affiliate network. Um, affiliate networks were a thing before Google killed that business model. Okay, yeah. So this is like this is like basically affiliate links. Businesses give you affiliate links. You drop them on your blog. You get a little bit of a kickback if somebody buys a product after you know yeah, visiting your yeah, blog. Yeah, basically affiliate networks were uh, were marketplaces where if you had a website, you could sign up, and then brands were you know making offers. Hey, why don't you put up us yep. up this link? And and for brands as well, they could get on there, and there were hundred thousand websites, and they could choose who who gets to advertise their brand and make money on it. Yep. Um, and then the display network and, ruined it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, more about being able to track the track the results and and also how the customer journey changed. Yeah. So back then it was very black and white. It's you know you read this blog post and it says you should buy this and then you click the link and then you buy and that's all there is to it. But nowadays we we know in in marketing that's not the case. Actually, there's there's many, many points. Yep. There can be a Super Bowl ad. There can be what your friend 
says uh, there can be social media influencers. There's many different points along the purchase journey. Sure. So people don't just go out and buy an item because they read it in a blog post. I yeah. mean, sure, people do that still today, but let's say the, the understanding of the customer journey online has evolved a lot yep. since 2006. Yep, 100%. And I, I worked in a in a bunch of different startups. I've, I lived in a lot of different countries. My wife is from uh, from Poland, and I was from Finland. So we very early on realized we can't both continue life in our home country. Someone needs to move somewhere. We tried living in both countries and didn't really enjoy it. So I moved to we moved to Amsterdam oh, in, cool. in the Netherlands, and that's a really fun fun place to live as yeah. as a young expat i don't know why they call it expats it should be immigrants but yeah it's a long young immigrant <laughs> it was it was really fun um and i worked for a lot of good startups and a lot of bad startups mm. but i think my my best one that i worked myself up to is a company called musician have okay. you heard about them no i don't think so what do they do they are the world's biggest music educator okay so okay. a lot of people who play an instrument have learned how to play on musician. It's basically Guitar Hero, but with real instruments. Interesting. Okay. Is it? Is and it like they have a, hundreds it... of millions of users. This is a subscription model. Okay. It's like your own guitar teacher, except it's on your iPad or on your computer. Got it. Is it? Is it like a Khan Academy thing, where like it's one video that's recorded to solve a specific problem, and then you go look at that, or is it? Is it like live, virtual? Like it's live. Okay. It's like a game. Got it. Oh, you, it's like a game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a side-scrolling game where you need to hit the right note at the right time. Really, and if you do it, it sounds really good because you're playing the song, but also you get the points. Very, so you can very practice cool. And practice and practice, and and that's what, when I found out how how important work culture is because hmm. I worked in very successful businesses that where the work work culture sucks, and it's it there doesn't seem to be a correlation. But then, what really led me to eventually found Hostaway is that we decided to move to Canada okay. mostly because we had never been here. Okay. We've been to many places and and we decided to move here. Um, Did you visit before you moved? No, no. What? So that was one of the major so why? reasons why we decided to move to so Canada. So you were just like you're just like let's just go live in a, a country that we've never been to and let's just figure life out from there. Yeah, and and a, and a new continent. Yes, that we but, Well, oh, we we had traveled okay. a lot in the US, yeah, so we, yeah, yeah. we knew a bit what to expect. And you're like don't um, want to go there. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, yeah. But, well, I mean when when you're I mean where you you said you've been a digital nomad and you stayed for a week in many places, but but we we have stayed you know one year in one location, so we have moved around a lot, and we like staying different places. Yeah. Just this summer, we were one month in in Montreal when our when our daughter was born. We spent almost three months in Barcelona, huh. and um, th these are things that we we like to do, but we do it longer. Last last winter, we spent in Fort Myers Beach, in Florida, and uh, so so we moved here and. I, I looked at the startup scene in 2015. Today, Toronto is, is a really big tech yeah. hub. Yeah. It's uh, Amazon and, and Google are investing massive amounts. And we got homegrown Shopify and, and other companies from here. But, uh, but back then, I didn't really see myself doing career. At the same time, I found out that I, I got really fascinated by the short-term rental model hmm. because I saw that long-term rentals for people like us they don't really work 
and it's it's because then you're stuck in a place if you yeah. sign a lease you're stuck there for a year and yeah. it's, it's yeah. a bit annoying and then at that point i think we had fully furnished seven homes and we got we got tired we we had a shopping list in ikea so when we bought our our one bedroom flat here in toronto we, we knew what to buy and it, it just felt like it felt like putting on the coffee maker in the morning you yeah. know something you have to do but you don't truly enjoy that you more yeah. enjoy the coffee yeah and yeah, going yeah. to ikea felt like that it yeah. wasn't exciting anymore and we thought there's got to be more to this and we started looking into could we get into the short-term rental game and and that's when what really shocked me was that at the time it wasn't at all what airbnb was advertising it to be they were advertising it as a way to make extra money by renting yeah. out a spare room yeah and letting people stay there turns out it was the exact opposite there were big companies here a lot of entrepreneurs who were managing 40 even 100 units on behalf of investors and i started and and that's what fascinated me how mm. the public image was one thing but the and act, business yeah. reality was another yeah, yeah so i started reaching out to these property managers started interviewing them about their their problems so what i've done in almost every position at startups previously i've been in some sort of market research role okay usually entering new markets or pivoting the product or creating an additional product line um and and as a result of that i'm really good at understanding markets and and doing the, the research to find out is it worth going into and I was able to speak to 40 property managers about their daily challenges, the wow. way they set up their business, why they started, how it's going and so on. And I, I found out what I later realized is perhaps the, the simplest value proposition any startup can have. Um, because a lot of startups, they, have the, they, they haven't nailed out their fundamentals sure fundamental is there's got to be a problem and your startup should bring the solution sure sure but even startups that have a product that people are buying they still can't formulate that problem and the solution mm. Mm. and at the time we, we went through the same i think it took us three four years to figure that part out even though our investor pitches of course had some problem and solution but <laughs> the problem was so super simple what these companies needed was vacation rental software yeah and the solution you can offer for that problem is vacation rental software <laughs> when you think about it it's the simplest value prop in the entire world where the problem is the same as the solution yeah it's a bit like someone saying i wish i had a glass of water and then the solution is a glass of water you know that's the simplest thing to sell in the world <laughs> Um, and and I'm I'm very happy I came across that. So and, so at at yeah. the time, like like just give me give me a sense for uh, you're talking to all these folks. Did did anything exist already? Like was 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 Guesty for hosts around? Was like uplisting around? Were were some of these other companies kind of around and, and doing work in the space yet? Or kind of like what as you're talking to these 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 property managers like were were they just like unaware of these other solutions were those other solutions not around yet like give us just a sense of like timeline and like the competitive landscape yes it's it's very interesting how things have changed first of all yes some of those existed okay um and many didn't yeah. i mean they just like i mean for example we, we say that we started in 2015 the product actually came out in 2017 because yeah. it took two years to build sure sure um and what did exist though 
was an entirely different market. Okay. As as you noticed, I mentioned Airbnb property managers and not vacation rentals. I didn't go to Florida to interview them over there, but this the market was split in two. Hmm. So there was traditional vacation rentals. Yep. And and they are it's very easy to identify them. They have a physical office. Yep. When they look out the window of the units, you will see either a beach, a mountain, golf course, or a lake. Yep. Yep. They are run by someone who lives there. Okay. They know all the people. They know all the trades people. They have probably been in business for decades. Okay. It's not something that that uh, popped up overnight. Eighteen-year-old yeah. sets up overnight and builds a builds an empire. Um, and at the time, Airbnb didn't have any market share. Okay. You would have asked them. They didn't. They had never heard of Airbnb. Yeah. What Airbnb had was the exact opposite. You had an 18-year-old who failed school and couldn't get a proper job, suddenly running a multimillion-dollar business in any big city in the world, managing hundreds of units and <laughs> making a lot of money by renting them out on Airbnb without even owning any real estate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and... And we started catering to that segment. So, but but they couldn't use the software that was built for these traditional vacation rental property managers because, yeah. first of all, that software, those property managers and those softwares, they didn't communicate with Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. And the reason was simple. At the time, well, I'm an official preferred partner of Airbnb, so um, I can't really speak. This is my own speculation. Sure, sure, this absolutely. Is a disclaimer. But basically, you. The reason no software could connect to Airbnb was that they didn't want any partners. Yeah. It was that simple. Yeah. And what I think is the reason is fairly simple. They had found a niche where they had a monopoly. Yeah. Just like Uber did. Yeah. They had found these 18-year-olds running 100 units in San Francisco, and there was no competition. So why, if they if they have the cake, why would they give out a slice to anyone? Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah, for there's that. no reason until they want so, to expand. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is what they they eventually wanted, but at the time there was no way for us. The barriers of entry were massive. Yeah. you know there were a lot of competition out there, but they didn't really have any solutions. Yeah. And because if you wanted to partner with Airbnb, partner with Verbo, uh, wanted to partner with Booking.com, well, good luck. They don't want to talk to you. Yeah. They didn't want to talk to us either. Yep. And they don't want to talk to anyone unless you're already big, in which case you don't address this market. You address the market near the mountains and the beaches, not the cities. Yeah. So so that's actually the main reason why, why we uh, were so driven to run this business was that it was almost impossible to get started because that means that there is a, a massive barrier of entry and many people are going to give up. Yep. It's too hard. Yeah. yeah. So and one, you, one of the things I, it, yeah, yeah. Then, then, then there's yeah. a lot of upside if you can get through exactly. those barriers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things many investors said is, Oh, there's too much competition because they looked online and they found 50 solutions. Yep. But then when you go into one of these solutions and there's a lot of them have gone out of business, you know, all they have is a website yeah. that's a lead form. They don't have an actual product. And yeah. even for us, it took two years to build a product. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, speaking speaking of that, Marcus, so what what did like V1 of the product look like? And then how has, how has HostAway evolved since? So the, the initial idea was to build a 
<clears throat> was to build a uh, channel manager only. So only synchronize the, the calendars and the rates. Okay. Across at the time, it, across it was booking.com, a, Airbnb, uh, etc., Verbo, et exactly, yeah. exactly. Because that was the main challenge that these uh, companies had. They had to manually, whenever a booking come in, they had to go on different platforms and block the dates. That yep. was one of the main problems they had at the time. Remember how I said now we have we can <laughs> determine the problem and the solution, and it's so simple. But it wasn't simple back then. Sure, you know how do you explain that to someone that you have to manually log in and click? How do you evaluate that? I mean, if someone is saying. I'm dying of thirst. Give me water or else I'll die. It's a very simple problem yeah, to have. Of course. Yeah. But if someone says, when I get a booking, I have to go to this website and block the dates. It's very hard for someone to grasp how serious is that problem. Sure, sure, sure. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like, is it really that big of a deal to just go log in, log out three times a day across systems? Like, there are not that many places where these uh, where these short term rentals are popping up, right? Like, there's not that many OTAs in the space. So, but yeah, but yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. So, so how do you, how do you help them understand the problem? And then like, what is the you know V one is is sort of this this sinking solution essentially? And then and then how do you evolve from there? So uh, the syncing solution was uh, actually working really, really well. Okay. Um, but then it was only working well for those who wanted exactly that. Mm. And mm. Where, where most of our competitors failed during this journey is by identifying exactly their ideal client profile. Mm. And uh, we found out that uh, people who want this syncing solution, the client profile won't pay that much mm. for it. Mm -hmm. And they will be very specific about their needs, but they're not willing to pay for that specificity. Yeah. And yeah. what we noticed is that, that uh, so, so we can call them bad customers. Sure. They want a lot, they, the wrong they want customers. to pay a little. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, or, or maybe for our product, it was it was the wrong customers. Okay. But uh, what we found out is that the right customers, they wanted the software to do a lot more, mm. and they were willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And um, and we had to make a strategic decision at the time. This was in 2016. We had built a channel manager that was fairly good in the market, you know, compared to what was available at sure. the time. But we didn't have a PMS. Okay. Yeah. PMS, that's the part of the software where you actually manage the daily operations. Yep. You you can see a list of all the guests, you know how much they're paying, you can charge them, you can pay out to owners, you can schedule the cleanings, um, and you can yeah. Um you're basically it, it, it's 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 like the CRM that like a business would use yeah, to manage CRM. Their, their operations. That's the CRM part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where, whereas the the channel manager is the let's push the prices out there. Sure. Sure. Uh, part. Um, now, we had to make a decision. Do we partner with, with somebody else PMSs that use us as a channel manager, or do we develop our own PMS? And what about all the other channels? Yeah. You know, do we really believe that? It's going to be only Airbnb and Booking.com and Expedia and Verbo yeah. in, in 10 years, or yeah. are there going to be a hundred of them? Yeah. yeah. In that case, are we going to build all those connections or are we going to partner with the channel manager? And we made a very bold decision that about five years later, we found out that those who made the same decision even later, they are successful. And those who made a different decision all have faded away. Wow. So that decision was we're going to build build both of them yep. in-house 
we're not going to partner with anyone. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So we never had, I think we're the only PMS that's, that's as big as we are today that has never had an external channel manager. Huh? Interesting. Interesting. So you guys decide, you know what, we're going to build this in house. Uh, how, and how long does that take? Like, how, like how, how much time from that decision to when you, when you shipped it to market? Um, you, you don't just build a channel manager, uh, because this industry moves extremely fast and changes extremely fast. Yeah. It needs to be constantly updated. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, and, and this is something that I see a lot of property managers make the mistake that they, they want to build their own, uh, channel connections. And there's certainly a situation where that's warranted. Sure. But the challenge is that you can build a great product today, but what about six months from now? How much money does it cost to maintain that? So yeah. most of the big customers we have today, so when I say big, I mean more than 2,000 properties. Okay. They they have all built their own channel managers. Hmm. That's not the hard part. Yeah. The it's... difficult part is that when it starts costing you one or two million a year, to and you're still not able to to stay up to date like we are. So when, when consumers start looking for new things, for example, when they're, during the pandemic on Airbnb, they started advertising properties that had enhanced cleaning protocols. Yep. Well, then your development team, they're, they're struggling because the rates aren't updating. Are they going to add that? No, yeah. they don't have time. Well, then you miss out on the bookings. Yeah. So is it really worth it to pay $2 million for a development team? Or should we maybe pay a fraction of that to a property man to a channel manager that already has it? So that's sure. how we win most of our big customers are those who have built their own technology and realized how expensive it is to, to maintain. maintain. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So okay, I'm curious, like who who is like Hostaway's like core customer segments today? Like, give me give me kind of your 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 like top two of of I'm sure that I'm sure there's a whole variety, but like. Who are who are sort of in your mind right now, given where the product is today? Who are who are like your best customer segments? Um, looking at the overall market, there's really uh, three segments that uh, that I think we can we can fairly easily identify. One is the small; they're called owner operators. Okay. I really like the like the title. Yep. Um, because they're operating vacation rentals, but a lot of them also own those. So they, they can, for example, own one cottage. Yeah, yeah. Or they can own one and manage two of their friends' cottages at the same time. Yep. Um, then the mid-segment is someone who is already very serious. They might own 10 okay. properties. Yep. Or they might manage between 10 and 100 properties themselves. Sure. And then we have enterprise, which is... Well, I wouldn't say it's a hundred plus. It's more five hundred plus. Five hundred plus, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's gray zones between all these three segments. Of course, of course. But when you look at the the segments, you have uh, you have clear market leaders, and it's very hard to move from one segment to the other. Um, and we're really good in the in the mid segment. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and and uh, the mid segment is. Yeah, property managers or owners who either have a bit more than one property or yep. are looking to grow. So yep. we have a lot of people who may have one property today, but they're looking to add two more. Yep. And um, and actually, in that smaller segment, we're also really strong with with so-called prosumers, hmm. which are so which are basically what 
uh, a prosumer is an amateur, uh, a consumer okay. that is buying something, but they want to spend the money on the professional equipment. Ah, so I if see. you imagine ah, guitar okay. players yep. around the world, basically all of them are amateurs unless they're full-time musicians yep. and make, make a living. Um, most of them will buy an amateur guitar, yep. you know, something that costs 500. Yep. But there's a small percentage of them that say, well, I know I'm an amateur, but I want the same instrument that the professionals are using. And if it costs me 10,000, I'm going to pay 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is like the, this is the host. It's like, Hey, I, I want to get into the short term rental game. Right. But, but I don't, I don't want to half asset. I want to do like house hacking. Like I, like I, I want to go in and I want to build this Instagram worthy, this like beautiful, like escape. I'm going to, you know, furnish it with the everything in from, from West Elm. Like, like it, it, they want to go, they want to go kind of like balls to the wall with their, with their very first property. Exactly. And it's, uh, it also makes financial sense. I mean, it's not like the, sure. the guitar. Um, well, actually the guitar also makes financial <laughs> sense because if you buy it for 10,000 used, you can most likely sell, sell it, it for 10,000. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. the 500 that you buy, you probably can't sell it at all, or maybe you sell it for yeah. 200. When you get tired a couple of weeks later and realize guitar is not for you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if, if you're spending, you know, a lot of time and and you spent potentially millions on one property, yeah, uh, then you know, do you, do you want want a software that almost does the job with with support that doesn't always give the right answers when yeah. you need them? Yeah, yeah. Or do you just spend a little bit more? Yeah. And you get all, you get everything you need, and and you get great support and and the best software that all the professionals are using. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's so the, a really interesting customer segment that I, I feel like I've I've talked about these and described these sorts of individuals, but I've never used the actual term prosumer, and I, I like that a lot. So I'm going to be stealing that one, man. Um, yeah, and that's that's what separates us as well. We we're very transparent in the sales team. You know, if someone comes there and is looking for you know, a cheap tool that does the job, we tell them, well, here's five cheap tools that sure. does the job. Sure. I mean, yeah. if you if you want the best support, if you want the best product, the best abilities to succeed, then that's us. Yep. But then you, you need to pay for that. Yep. And yeah. if you're not willing, that's completely that's okay. Yeah, there's lots of other there's lots of other options. Marcus, I've got two final questions for you. Um, uh, this has been a ton of fun. I've learned a ton from you. Um, one is just around a lot of the people that are tuning into the conversation today are, again, short-term rental hosts. I'm sure we have some prosumers here listening in. Uh, and then also just like entrepreneurs who are building things in and around the space. I'd love for I'd love to hear like what what like hot takes or just, uh, you know, observations, predictions, et cetera, that you might have about the current state of the industry and, and where things are going. Yeah, I uh, my view on the industry is hasn't changed much. Um, I think it's very interesting as it's getting more more mature because the things that I, I predicted many years ago had turned out to be true. Um, <laughs> to, to, to say it shortly, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Mm. And um, that that's that's just the system we live in. It's called capitalism yeah. and that's the system we live in. And, yeah. and what that means for this industry is actually really, really good. Um, so we will have fewer people who own properties, but they will own more of them. Mm-hmm. And for property managers, that's great news because if you own one cottage, you might be spending every weekend there. You're not yeah. going to be able to rent it out. Yeah. But if you have 10, you probably have more important things to do with your life than 
the traveling through all your cottages. Yeah, yeah. And that's when you hand them out to a property manager. At the same time, right now we're seeing a lot of interesting fluctuation in the economy. Uh, yeah. There's uh, inflation. There's a labor shortage. Uh, there's increasing interest rates. Yep. And and that's all good for this industry um, for for a couple of reasons. Uh, for example, right now interest rates to buy a home are going up, which means a lot of people have to rent. Yep. As a result of that, rents are going up. Yep. As a result of that, short-term rents are also or ADRs are also going up. Yep. Yep. Um, another aspect is that. As costs go up, cost of maintaining, a lot of people who may have held on to the family cottage, they may let it go. But most likely the people who can afford to buy it or the companies, they will be the ones who already have the money, but they don't need to use it themselves. They're going to rent it out. So there will be more inventory coming to the market. Yeah, yeah. And and these are are the trends that I'm I'm following, you know, uh, very macroeconomic trends such as the the labor participation rates and uh, unemployment rates and uh, GDP growth and inflation interest rates the, these are the things that have the biggest impact on our industry and and so far I don't see any 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 clouds on the horizon yeah yeah that's super interesting whereas there are plenty of clouds in in other aspects of the economy but just uh maybe maybe not as many uh, in in this one which is which is great for those tuning in my, my last my last question for you marcus is when, when you think about like the the current like landscape right and you think about the tools the software the solutions that exist in in this space like where do you see gaps like wh- do, you, do you have any do you have any sort of like huh i'm noticing that there's not a great solution for x or you know what we we really need a better solution for for why and if whether whether they're technological gaps they're software gaps like it's just maybe they're just even just brand gaps but like where where do you see sort of like gaps in the in the current landscape so it's it's very interesting how if we talk only about vacation rental software or short-term rental software yeah uh we 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 have a marketplace uh one of the biggest in the industry over 100 partners there and they all provide solutions. Some of them even overlap with ours. For yeah. example, you can schedule cleanings with our software, but we also have at least five companies that provide cleaning scheduling software that yeah. integrates into our system. Yeah. Um, and so, so I get a very good view of what's going on. And what's going on right now is the 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 big are getting bigger, hmm. and they are consolidating. Hmm. And uh, just to give give a very real example of this, Price Labs, one of our first partners, yeah. um, they they raised thirty million, and they go out and buy shorttermrentals.com, yeah, which is a, right. a publication in the space, yeah, which which is just one one example of this consolidation going on. Now, at the same time, when you look at these solutions, I don't think there's anyone who genuinely can say that their solution is is you know really mature yeah i think there is there's gaps in every single solution no matter what you look at if we talk about smart locks if we talk about insurance uh, pms channel managers everyone has gaps and that's because the market is so young yeah, yeah and growing so fast at the same time yeah so you don't really have time to fill those gaps so there's opportunities everywhere but the the paradox comes here because of consolidation there's a lot less innovation going on. Yeah, yeah. And and consolidation also means that the barriers of entry get higher. 
Yeah. So so it means that if you're about to enter, when we entered market in 2015, there were no big companies. Now there's many big companies, including us. But you know, if I was entering the same market today, I would say, whoa, there are a lot of big companies and clear market leaders, at least in some segments. Yep. So I better not go into those segments because it's going to be harder. Yeah. And um, so, so, and and what I think will happen is the consolidation will continue, and the rate of innovation will go down, which will create More new opportunity. opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So I think on one hand it will be harder to enter the vacation rental software space. But on the other hand, those that enter it successfully will have a way faster growth path rate to yeah. success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Because they will be able to find the gaps. Yeah. Because as you consolidate and people, industry experts talk to each other, they all tend to think alike. And that's very dangerous because that's when they suddenly, someone, an outsider will find a gap yeah. that all of them missed because they were living in their own bubble. And that includes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but hey, that's I feel like that's a very very honest observation. Um, and and what I would just quickly add to that too is, you know, I there's also more people that I feel like are getting interested in the space who come from other backgrounds, right? Whether whether it's tech, whether it's whether it's just marketing, even like bootstrappers, right? Like who are now observing this space um, and and really kind of interested in the future of travel and hospitality. So I would say you're also like from a from a talent standpoint potentially this industry is going to be attracting like new new talent that have done really great cool big things in in other industries outside of the short-term rentals and vacation management uh vacation rental space and that are now potentially interested in, in coming into this space so yeah it, it, i think it's an ex very much uh, an exciting time to be in this in the industry and i'm i'm just pumped to see what you and the team and and really kind of the space continue to do it's um it's it's a just it's just a very very exciting time all right. Well, thank you very much for. I, I agree. Um, thank you very much for having me on. Of the show. course, Marcus. It's been a privilege. Um, where should folks go if they want to connect with you and/or if they want to learn a little bit more about Hostaway? If you want to learn more about Hostaway, uh, go to hostaway.com. We promise you, within sixty minutes, you'll be speaking to a real live person who can evaluate your software needs. Uh, if you want to connect with me, whether you're an existing customer or a potential future customer. Uh, just Google Marcus Hostaway LinkedIn. The first Marcus result there, Hostaway connect LinkedIn. to me there, send me a message. I promise I'll I'll read and answer. Perfect. And we'll go ahead and drop your all those links in the show notes below. So if you're listening to this conversation and want quick access, just scroll on down to the show notes. Marcus, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, Zach. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.